All right, this Sunday, uh, we're, we're continuing on in our series uh, on the Lord's Prayer. We're nearly finished. We're about to go back uh, to the Gospel of Mark. We, we did that for the first uh, most of the, the year. Uh, we took a break in the summer, and we're about to finish this series on the Lord's Prayer and jump back into the Gospel of, of Mark, which will take us all the way through the fall. Uh, last week, David Taylor was here, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, the Taylors are friends of uh, us personally and of our church, and he covered the portion where Jesus uh, teaches you to pray. Um, to some degree, uh, lead us not into temptation. We'll talk about a little bit more about what that means, as I know he did. Uh, and deliver us from evil, um, which is, is probably more is probably more accurately translated, deliver us from the evil one. Um, and so we're talking about Jesus' instruction that we would pray for protection from the evil one, the power of the devil, and from evil. So I'm going to read first from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, and then just a little segment from Hebrews. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to, him, give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a rock. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And this is from Hebrews chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, fear, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." And then as we've done this whole series, I'm going to ask you a question from a catechism. This one is from Luther's small catechism. So I'll ask you the question. If you're willing, you can read out loud the underlying portion. But deliver us from evil. What is this?
pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us here today. We pray that we would be listeners. Not that we would just hear, but that we would actually listen. And we need your help. Would you help us, God, to listen to what you're saying through your word, that we might see how you do answer this prayer that you have commanded us to pray. Father, would you help me to speak in accordance with that word and not against it. Let all other words and wisdom fall to the wayside, that we might all together come under your instruction, under your mastery, and flourish under your care. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the devil is what we're talking about today. Uh, Jesus instructs us to pray that we would be delivered from the evil one. You can, you can say evil, but uh, grammatically it's, it's probably best to understand this as Jesus telling us that we ought to be praying to be delivered from the grasp of the evil one. And uh, the devil, Satan, is this sort of weird figure. Um, just, just a couple days ago, I don't know what prompted it, my daughter asked me, if God made everything to be good, where did the devil come from? And I was, uh, we were camping, and it was night, and I was tired, and I was like, I don't know, it's a mystery. Just <laughs> stared at the fire, which is true. That's, that's, there's a true answer. Um, people can wrap themselves in knots theologically trying to answer that question. It's best to just sort of leave things in the dark when you don't know the answer. And we truthfully, we don't know the story there. Um, for us today, modern Western people, the idea of the devil, of, of Satan, is um, pretty foreign, uh, perhaps fairly laughable. Um, most people uh, think of some dude in a red suit on one shoulder trying to get you to do the fun thing that is against the rules. That's basically their idea of the devil, and that's just... Silly, like we all understand there's good and bad, and, and we don't have to think of an angel and a devil, um, which is, of course, not what the Bible talks about when it talks about the devil. Um, but the, the, the sort of problem is the, the devil doesn't, doesn't get a lot of explanatory airtime in the Bible. It really is a, a lot of mystery there. Um, where, why is there a serpent in Genesis chapter 3? What is his origin story? No idea. Don't know. Um, what, what actually is the devil's name, even? Doesn't, doesn't really have a name. Um, not, certainly not in the Old Testament. We, we might call him Satan, um, but that word is, is really just a, a title. It's a description of, of an activity. And there are other things and people acting as a Satan in the story of the Bible, if you look at the language that it's written in, because it's just a word, just like judge is a word. Over time, uh, Jewish thinkers and theologians start to say, well, look, it, all, all true opposition must come from this sort of enemy-in-chief here. So we'll, we'll start talking about the Satan, the, the real opponent here. So it starts to get applied as a title, turn into a name, um, but... It's not like his name was 
you know, Satan at birth or whatever, like on his birth certificate. Just like Jesus' last name is not Christ. Christ is a title to describe what he does. What is the devil's name? We don't know. Jesus, here in this prayer, even just says, pray that you'd be delivered from the evil one. This one who is leading opposition to God. And he sort of just pops in and out of the story. He's not a primary figure in the story of the Bible, but he's also not a nothing in the story of the Bible. If you read the Gospels, Jesus has no problem talking about the devil, talking about demons. And really, we are more comfortable talking about the idea of evil in general. But the existence of really really stark and obvious dark evil helps us conceptualize and be prepared for the idea of an evil one. So we often just sort of in our minds kind of write off good and evil as, you know, good and people sort of making mistakes. But it is when we are confronted with truly awful evil that we are thrown into the to relief, that the, the, the starkness between what is good and what is evil really starts to, to show out. It's one thing for my, my kids to have an attitude when I ask them of something, or for me to have an attitude when my wife asks me of something. It's another thing to see the derangement and the fixation on evil from somebody like Dylan Roof before he goes into a church and shoots people for the crime of being black. It's it's a different kind of thing when you go back and you watch and listen to some of the things that that Hitler would say. And not just the the horrible crimes, the murder of six million Jews and millions of other people, but the enthusiasm of the crowds as they listened. There's, I don't know if, you're like me, it's, it's the evilness of the Holocaust is apparent, but the thing that, that really creeps me out is the people cheering it on who are convinced and swayed by this lunatic. That, we can say, yeah, that, that's evil in the world. That's evil. And when you conceptualize those kinds of darknesses, the individual hidden and private crimes that maybe you only know or the ones written on a global and historical scale, the scriptures will speak to and say, these are the works of the evil one. This is in fact exactly what the evil one wants to do. And the evil one is in the world still. Jesus is affirming his existence and the real and present danger, even to his own people, by teaching us to pray this way, deliver us from the evil one. And so the question then is, what is it that Jesus is asking us to pray What is it 
that the evil one is coming to do, that we are being protected from, that we are meant to be protected from. And look, my, my job here today, I'll tell you ahead of time, is not to tell you scary stories about the reality of demons and the devil so that at night, tonight, when you hear something, whatever, creaking in your house, you are afraid. That's not my job. It is probably the most helpful guide we can have, personally, I think, is the guy who we quoted when we read Luther's small catechism. Luther was a man who wrestled with darkness and depression for his whole life. And for Luther, the devil was very much real and alive. Luther has plenty of knocks against him, but the man had a flair. He said the devil would wake him to argue with him and cause him to doubt the gospel. And he would dismiss him with a fart and send him along the way. He said other things that I really can't say in church. I don't feel comfortable saying it. But this was the conviction with which Luther really believed. The devil was real and dangerous and present. And yet, he could be dismissed with a fart. This is what I want you to see today. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, this is his, one of his most direct confrontations, not, not with evil generally, not just with demons, but with the devil, with the evil one. And it is told in the Gospel of Matthew, it is told in the Gospel of Luke. This is his temptation in the wilderness. And in three different instances, at the end of Jesus' long fasting in the wilderness, after his baptism, as Luke tells it, full of the Holy Spirit, the devil comes to offer him, in exchange for him, immediate gratification in exchange for obedience and for worship. And Jesus repels the assault, the attack of the devil by quoting three times from the Torah. And the devil leaves him aside. This is, first of all, what I would say is the primary battleground that you will experience confrontation with the devil, which is in the arena of sin. And this is an important connection for us to make in our minds because for us, often, sin is entirely internal. Even if you're a Christian, even if you're a Bible-believing Christian, if, even if you're inclined to believe that there is something called the devil, that you don't have a problem believing that. Still, if you're like, I think, me and, and many other Christians, especially in our context, you tend to think of sin as your personal problem. Uh, you're wrestling with what we call the flesh, with your natural inclinations, as opposed to what God wants for you. However... There is another figure in play. And the Christian tradition has always acknowledged this. That you wrestle not just against with your own flesh. You wrestle with the systems of this world and with the devil himself. And what the devil primarily wants to do with you is to wrestle you down into sin. 
And Jesus enters into the battleground that you and I are regularly placed in. We are pushed by our natural desires, whether we've been fasting for 40 days or for four hours. We are pushed by our lack of sleep, by our discomfort, by our overly comforted life. And we are faced with temptation. And what the devil wants for you is to make an exchange. In the moment of trial, in the moment of temptation, the evil one wants you to exchange the promises of God, the commands of God, the goodness of God for the immediate gratification that he can offer. And the offer is real. It's important to understand that even in this text, in Luke chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 3, it, it, even though the devil is constantly spoken of as a liar, the evil one in Scripture actually does have authority and power, even, even over the kingdoms of this world. The understanding was always that the dark one, the evil one, actually could and does move actively in the world, pushing and pulling, arranging, whispering, twisting, and controlling so that the kingdoms of this world in many ways are under his sway. So that he has the authority, in some sense, the power to offer Jesus what is actually being offered, that, that he can actually make this happen. The kingdoms of this world would bow to him. And, and of course, it is, in some sense, what God is about in the life of Jesus. The announcement of the Gospels is about the arrival of the kingdom of God. It is about every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus, this one, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the reigning, ruling master of the heavens and the earth. And, and here is a shortcut. Here is a way for a good end to be achieved through an easier means, quicker with less sacrifice. And Jesus is offered this temptation. Jesus is offered a way that is not God's, it is not the Father's way, it is an alternative way that would seem good to him, would seem good to the evil one, and would arrive at seemingly the same place that he was going anyway. So why not? And Jesus refuses. Jesus turns aside from temptation. He sees that the devil's way, Satan's way, the evil one's way, while seeming good on the outside, is not actually good by the one who truly is in charge of what is good and what is evil. And Jesus is able to say no where our own first parents are unable to say no. When Adam and Eve have a very similar conversation with the serpent, where the serpent is saying, look, if you want to be a good ruler over the earth, which is what God wants, it is what God says and commands in Genesis chapter 1 and describes again in Genesis chapter 2, that humans would actually exercise some degree of control, of reigning and ruling over the world in on behalf of and in representation of God, 
it is seemingly moving in the same direction. And the serpent says, this is a better way for you to do that. But it circumvents what God wants. Because this is what the serpent does. The serpent will appeal to your own reason, your own desires, your own cravings, your own weaknesses, whispering, pushing, pulling, bullying you constantly so that you would bow to him. And Jesus sees the stakes. He sees the true enemy. He sees him for what he is. He unmasks him with the word of God and he refuses and says no. C.S. Lewis, when he's uh, talking about what this means, people are, are tempted to look at Jesus and say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't really understand me uh, because he doesn't really understand what it means to sin. He doesn't really understand what it means to give in to sin, to fail like this. It doesn't, it's an easier thing for him that he was just Jesus and I'm just me. I have the harder job. And Lewis makes the point that none of us have ever persisted in the face of temptation and repeatedly said no. And, and Lewis says that Jesus experiences the full weight of temptation because the temptation just continues to build and build and build. It is the headwind that never ceases, constantly pushing you in one direction. And all of us have been blown downstream of that headwind. And Jesus resolutely says no, all the way until the end. It is an impossibly difficult task that Jesus does to face down the power of sin and to bury it. Because this is sort of the twinned danger, the twinned power that Satan has is the power of the grave. You can hear it. Maybe it might be a bit surprising when you read Hebrews chapter 2 when it says that the devil has power over death. Jesus he never, never talks around this idea. In Matthew chapter 10, he talks about, you should not be afraid of the one who has power to kill your body. But you should instead fear the one who kill your body and your soul. He doesn't say, you shouldn't be afraid of the devil because he can't kill your body. He acknowledges it. He says the, one, the evil one does have the power to kill your body. He just says you shouldn't be afraid of him. And this is really the heart of the thing for Christians. The devil uses the fear of death in partnership with his temptation towards sin to move you towards the darkness that Jesus always came to deliver you from. And the fear of death it leaks in in all kinds of ways. It may not even be a conscious, direct, I am afraid of dying. Many people would probably say, because they feel like they're supposed to, or because they're good Christians, or they really sincerely believe it, I'm not afraid to die. However, you are afraid of your own ends. The, the simplest thing, I'm fear, the fear of missing out that people experience. The fear that things will happen without me. 
is an echo of the fear of death. The f- death is a reality that all of us will face because we are limited people. You will die. It's going to happen. It's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to all of you. The question is we don't know when. The, the simple fear of missing out in life is the fear of what will happen without you, that you will be excluded, that you will not be important to those people, that you will not get to have what they will have. And you can experience that by scrolling on Instagram and never being able to have the travel life that X person has or being able to see this group of friends that you're not really a part of and you wish that you were. Or you will experience that fear of missing out, the ultimate fear of missing out when you go to your grave. You're, I, I faced this recently. When I, I'm not really afraid of flying. I, I've flown a lot. I don't, it doesn't bother me that much. I don't like missing flights. I fear missing flights. I don't fear being on the plane. I, I don't like turbulence. Some people do. I'm married to some of them. <laughs> but I don't really care that much because I know that flying is like one of the safest ways that you can travel. I'm not too fussed about it. But every time now that I get ready to leave my family, I think about what it would mean like if I left my family forever. I I think about what it would mean if my six-year-old last memory of me stopped when she was six. And, And those kind of fears then influence my behavior before, during, and after. I, I can just give you a clue. It's not more restful and peaceful behavior that comes from me. My emotional and physical resources are shortened. My heart rate, my blood pressure go up. The meditations of my life and my mind are not on life and goodness and beauty. They are on death and darkness and sorrow. And I find it more and more and more difficult to resist the temptations of this world. And I would tell you, I am not afraid of dying. But maybe I'm afraid of those who would face the other side of my dying. That is the fear of the grave. The devil has charge of that. But what the author of Hebrews says is that Jesus is fully aware of both the real power of the grave itself and the fear that echoes out from it to dominate and control us. And it was for the deliverance of his people that Jesus came. When Jesus is teaching you to pray, Lead us not in temptation. It's it's probably best to be understood. Deliver us in the moment of worst trial. And keep us from the power of the evil one. The trial that every human is faced with is your own mortality. You will die. And the devil is seeking to push you into that grave as quickly and as fearfully and as darkly as possible. And he will use the temptations of your flesh, the systems of this world, and his own direct power to make you a person 
who is afraid and angry and bitter and alone and dead. The enemy of your soul is not a little red figure sitting on a cartoon shoulder. He is the one that stalks the darkest portions of your own heart that you have hidden from every person. He is the one that leaps upon your own fears like a jackal to rip them open and expose them to the world. He is the one that whispers lies to you again and again to make you think that at the same time you are the most important person in the world that everybody is conspiring against and that you are the completely forgotten one that nobody truly sees and loves. At the same time, he will tell you the same thing to push you and isolate you all alone in the darkness where you will face the reality of your own existence being wiped off the map and forgotten by everyone. And he is doing that, not just in the most catastrophic catastrophic of news stories, but in every moment of the seemingly mundane temptations that you will face in your life, every little headwind that comes against you, pushing you towards sin, is all about that. The stakes are not unevenly distributed. They are always, every single thing is the voracious stalking lion seeking to wrestle you down and consume you, spitting out the bones of you. And Jesus acknowledges it and says, pray that you would be delivered. And the good news is that Jesus is not just your teacher. He is your champion. He is not just the one who would teach you to ask it. He would be himself the answer to the prayer that he taught you to ask. The moment of the worst of your trials is a moment that he lived in for the entirety of his life. The grave at the end of your road that is coming at an hour at a time that you and I know not is a grave that he himself has already set up camp in and moved right on through. There is no thing that the enemy of your soul can offer you no bargain, no shortcut, no exchange that Jesus himself has not faced, has refused, and has not overcome. The sorrow that you face at your own sin has been met for you by the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, acquainted with your grief. All of the pleasure that you have forsaken and constantly feel that you must say no to has been seen and rejected by the Son so that you would be seated at the right hand of the Son of God where there are pleasures forevermore. The death that haunts you, that will sneak into you by the fear of missing out or the fear of your own grave has been faced in the crisis of the Son of God's own life where he himself asked, if there was but another way that this could be accomplished, let us do another thing. And yet, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And it was that on his lips that he went to his own grave where the voices of the devil himself would haunt you and torment you. And Jesus, Paul says, made a mockery. 
of that voice. There is nothing, no half-truth that the devil can offer you that is true enough to pull you away from the goodness of God's own hand. There is nothing that he can do to you. There is that he can destroy your body, he can take all of your stuff, he can ruin your reputation, and yet the Son of God will not forsake you. He will not be undone, he will not be defeated by the serpent. When he said he would crush the serpent's head, he meant the serpent that you face, he will crush and grind into the ground. The lies that the enemy has worked into the systems, the laws, the governments, the darkness, the corporations of this world, God will seek every one of them out and rip them out of his good earth. The grave that would end you, now something to be made a mockery of. It will cause you to weep in this life. And yet, the grave will ultimately not seal you in, but ultimately be opened up so that you would spring back out, more full of life on the other side of the resurrection than you are right now. So the very worst thing the devil can do to you has no life for you. Jesus is not just the master who teaches you to pray. He is not engaged in some sort of 50-50 armed combat with a really basically even powerful dark and evil being. He is the one, the Lord, the master over history and over heaven and earth who has made the devil his tiny little enemy upon which he will tread. The devil then is somebody to be dismissed with a prayer and a fart. He is an empty bully with power that is real compared to you and I, but a laughable amount of power in the face of the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. And if you are here today and you have been captive to sin, in the darkness and the privacy of your own heart, you have said yes in agreement with him. You have made an exchange with him to shortcut your way into the land of despair and darkness. Today you may be free. Because Jesus is your great champion. If you feel hopeless that you have gone too far down in agreement and alliance with the devil, you are not too far gone. You never will be. And today you can come home. If you will but look to him and say, deliver me from the evil one. He will. And if today you are realizing you are facing the power of the grave all on your own two feet, you are seeing some little bit of truth. You will die. You know not when. It will be the end of you and your memory on this earth. Do you want to live that way? If you're all, on, all alone facing the grave like that, do you want that life? Because Jesus is offering you a different one. When the champion of heaven and earth will be by your side and will make an end and a death of death itself. Only Jesus can do that. And today, 
If you want to be delivered from the power of sin and death, Jesus is your champion. And you need simply pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, deliver me from the evil one. And the Lord of the Lord's prayer will say yes to you. He gave you the words himself because he wants you to pray them. Because he delights in saying yes. He is the master of life. And he is coming to make your life flourish under his care. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we don't have to tell a lie about the nature of this world. We can tell the truth that darkness stalks the earth. We have been bullied. We have been tempted. We have been afraid. And we are your little sheep. Would you come and protect the sheep of your flock? Father, I pray for those who are caught in sin. Would they be delivered as they plea? And Father, I pray for those who are facing the end of their own life, all apart from you. And Father, I pray that they will hear this prayer and understand that it was meant for them to be praying it. And God, I pray that you would free them from the fear of death for themselves and for those whom they love. And instead, they will see in, in Jesus not just a trustworthy teacher, but a trustworthy champion, their captain, their rescuer, their savior, their Lord. May they pray to you in total surrender. Lord Jesus, deliver me from the evil one. Save me from my moment of greatest trial. Jesus, there is nobody like you. The Satan, Satan is a liar. He's a poser. He's a pretender. He's a cheat. There is no one who rivals you in glory and power. There is no one who rivals you in love. And we thank you that you are our Lord and our King. Let our lives be more and more turned over to you, safe in your hands forever. It is in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.